Like, do you care if people call you Psych Out or Alexander? I guess I'm curious where the name Psych Out comes from. It's sort of an interesting handle. Yeah, it's actually, I don't know, 20 years old or something like that. I had it since uh, the super early days. I mean, I was uh, I was uh, watching, you know, the South Park creators. They made uh, a movie a long time ago. It was called Basketball. Have you heard about that movie? Dude, I have. I don't know if I've actually seen it, but yeah, they're both actually in it, right? The one guy, the one of them has really long, puffy, curly hair, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt Parker, Trey Stone, or Trey Stone, Matt Parker, yeah. In, in any case, in that movie, it's basically about psyching out your opponents uh, when they are, I mean, it's like a lazy man's basketball, uh, baseball. You can't run, you can just stand still, and then you have to psych out your opponent. And I really like that. So like, that became my, my nickname uh, for, wow. I don't know, 20 years. And before that, it was something like Snowboard Kid or, I don't know, when, when I, back in the RSC days. That's cool, though. That's a pop culture reference. I also, I, I realize, I don't, are you older than me or am I older than you? Or are we the same I'm age? Born in, I'm born in 1986, so I, I would oh. say that I'm the oldest person in Sky Mavis. I, I assume that I'm older than you as well. You are, yeah. I'm, I'm an 89er, so you got a couple years on me. So what, what was yeah, your... I mean, that, that used to be good back in the day. Now it's like, fuck, I wish I was uh, born in 89 instead. My little sister is actually born in 1989. Oh, there you go. Um, dude, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, you're, old, you're getting old for a gamer, though. I mean, we both are. I, I feel it. Like uh, my other podcasts, we often look at like these new players coming up in Dota. And sometimes when they're born after the year 2000, we just have to take a moment and be like, oh, yeah, that's actually like you're, you're 21 now if you were born at a certain point in the year 2000. <laughs> that's, that's wild to think about. And then some of these like young guns, it's like 2005. Like, what the? F- God, I remember what I was doing in 2005, man. Yeah, I was in the army back then. Even I played Dota back then, represented... Uh... I, I actually, this is interesting because I had a, a call today with a, a Norwegian national kind of, um, what's, the, what's the word, like they're, they're the ones who cover Norwegian national news, I guess. And they were they were talking about, you know, esports and the history of esports and, and uh, but it was mostly related to acting. But it turns out that I have a lot of like old school esports history represented in Norway before like esports was cool. Uh, so traveled to lawn tournaments, that kind of stuff. We won, but that money didn't really... Uh, it wasn't really enough to even uh, pay for the trip uh, to those uh, to those wow. tournaments. So. so what what was your first eSport? Because for me, I mean, I played StarCraft Brood War a little bit, but honestly, I was like a little too young for it. I was really bad. I mostly fucked around uh, in like offline, like the map editor and stuff like solo player environments. And even like I never beat the campaign. I was that bad. I just, I would play like the easiest bot on the easiest map, like the smallest 1v1 and just play that over and over and practice the same lame strats picking on the, the, the shitty bot. I was real bad. But you might have been old enough to actually appreciate those games at the time, right? Were you a Brood War guy? I mean, not really. I played a little bit. I won, won a couple of LAN tournaments in, in Brood War. But my, I would say, first you know, competitive game was actually Warcraft 3. Oh. Uh, so I remember I was dreaming you know, um, about build orders at one point. So build orders, how, how you should like build more efficiently mm-hmm. uh, so you can get up those uh, first grunts or whatever and attack your opponent and end the game. Uh, so so that was nice, and I had a dream about headhunters one time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it's uh, that that was nice, but I was never really uh, like amazing in it until uh, Frozen Throne came out. That's really when I when I became uh, pretty decent, okay. I would say. Two versus two was my like team games was was pretty much where I was better at. So and when was in the TFC? end? I, was that like two thousand and four, two thousand three? I think two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah, something around those lines. It was a little bit before I joined the army, and then. Okay. I played with one guy called Bob is nice and we represented Norway in two versus two. And I played for Clan IT, which is like my esports history. Um, which was pretty pretty funny. I mean, I remember the peak of our career was we played in the Warcraft three Champions League, where we got destroyed by Todd and Grubby, if those names oh. uh, mean anything. Uh, yeah, to totally. You. I mean so, Grubby yeah. especially. I still follow him on Twitch. I watch him play Warcraft three and he was playing Heroes of the Storm a whole bunch. I don't know if he still is. That, that poor game. My uh, gosh. He he, uh, he crushed me. I remember, or we got crushed there. And then that, that was actually the beginning of Dota too. Uh, Dota, actually. 
because everyone who was good at Warcraft was almost automatically good at Dota because it was so much easier. Yeah. And Dota kind of came from from that scene. So we just started playing Dota a little bit. Um, actually, that's where I created, uh, co-created the kind of the first Norwegian Axie community. No, Dota community, I mean. <laughs> uh, so we had our own IRC channel and, and did a lot of stuff there, which, which was nice. Wow. And I also even played in, uh, there was an in-house league called IHDS in Dota 1 where some of the best players in the world played so i played in the ircs2 and then like i was vouched into ircs1 but i was just not always the best player i was like eh, kind of there but yeah. never really the, the greatest one you know it's interesting you mentioned though the nature of warcraft 3 being an rts game and dota being this i mean we didn't call it a moba back then but you just control one hero for the most part outside of a handful you know meepo lone drew and a handful of these multi-unit heroes that is a an interesting factor that might have actually jump-started Dota a little bit, that it, it wouldn't have existed otherwise if Dota had launched as its own game on its own platform. It kind of still would have been too hard and too confusing, but because it was tangential to the RTS and in some ways easier and other ways harder, but still kind of relative to the lore and familiar characters, that that like eased Dota into this giant population of people that even if you didn't fucking play the game, you look at the custom game list and you would see it there and you you would have an idea of, oh, DOTA, Defense of the Ancients, I kind of know what it is, even if I don't play it. Um, ah, man. Yeah. Warcraft yeah, 3, so talk about is, ahead of its yeah. time, dude. <laughs> no, they, they, were, they were growth hacking. Actually, the Dota community was growth hacking through Warcraft 3. Uh, yeah. So so it was, it was uh, next level there. And then it, you know, evolved into something, into something totally uh, like amazing. And then we, I guess, I, I realized that maybe I was even better at Dota uh, than uh, than Warcraft. Yeah. So I came into the army, and a lot of players were playing Dota back then too. So it was like this entire subculture, and a lot of the things are that are happening were happening there is actually happening in the Axie community too, like that that community kind of feeling. So. I'm curious to hear a little bit about uh, the army because, like, I don't know, I, I feel like for a lot of folks, uh, nerd culture and army culture don't necessarily intersect, but I don't really know what army culture is like in Norway. It's not mandatory military over there, is it? Mm -hmm. It is, like, somewhat mandatory. I mean, everyone gets called in, and then the most, I guess, really? not useless people, but those who are, like, injured or that they can't serve, they get kicked out. Um, oh. And then you get kind of put into various uh, boxes or various kind of areas where you might be better suited uh to to serve uh so me wow. personally i was in the what's it called a lot more, like the more on the geeky side of the army <laughs> so, like, that, like uh, logistics doing, or strategy or something yeah something like it was a uh, it was like uh, communications com like not uh it's called someone's buffalo and it's like <laughs> in english what the fuck is that uh it's like yeah connection battalion i mean so you are like uh, going up on mountains putting up things in the in the in, in the trees and then making sure that there's a lot of connections and then yeah okay th that kind signaling of stuff so unit. people can okay yeah signaling i guess is, is a better go. better choice signaling huh. unit yeah uh so so that was where i was in it was it was great because there was a lot of geeks there and then there was like oh. this uh, part of the signaling unit that was like you know more on the less geeky side and I was on the most geeky side of the signaling unit, but but even okay. so, it was good. I got a lady, um, a lot of really good friends there. Uh, so I actually enjoyed the army, um, and uh, that's also where I did like some other parts of my career outside of esports was also related to like security services that like kind of came from the army that mentality. So huh. this has been a pretty big uh, big uh, part of how I live my life and how I kind of look into. Um, how I like to see people behave, like uh, in a sense <laughs> that, it, that that thing should be more orderly. I actually like that, uh, yeah. which is kind of weird when you're considering uh, you're, you're in a startup. No, to totally. Um, wow, that's so funny, though. It's funny that you and I at least seem to get along pretty well because... I feel kind of the opposite. Like I like as a project manager, things being organized. I like efficiency. So organization comes with efficiency, but I don't like order for order's sake and i love to embrace mm -hmm. chaos and i feel like chaos is a huge part of my creative process and i kind of feel like i hate authority i've always felt like i've had a little punk rock like anti-authority just sort of you know what fuck you kind of kind of vibe like when in doubt i'm going the opposite way i don't know why I, i've got a little little contrarian in me i don't know where it comes from i guess it's just a genetic dice roll or something no i think i think that makes sense from a like an entrepreneurial perspective too uh, I think what I like is 
is if I don't, I have to be in the driver's seat or part of the people who are driving the car. Like if I'm just not sitting there and not have anything to say, to me, it's kind of weird. I like to say if I think something is wrong. I think that's the the that's the part of me that I'm that that has to kind of make sense. If if I'm just there and people make stupid decisions and I don't have to say anything to say, it doesn't make more sense to me. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you definitely need some order. Um, I want to talk uh, about some Axie Infinity stuff though, bud. I I, I want to maybe hit you with some big questions and talk about some of the 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 meteor topics that popped up in that Reddit thread on the Dota subreddit yesterday. I don't know if you've uh, continued to refresh that thing, but usual Reddit, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows with positive uh, positivity and negativity. It's always a, a, a pleasure to read. Um, but uh, hit me with some some Axie Infinity stuff here. I, I guess um, one of the, the broad stroke things that I wanted to communicate to people that I think got lost is like one of the coolest things about Dota, okay? Fundamentally, of all the other esports, why did I start doing Dota? Mostly because I liked the game, but I did try to do stuff in League of Legends, but I couldn't because it wasn't accessible. There were no tools to like do anything in the game unless you worked for Riot. There was no replay system. There's no Dota TV. There's no accessibility. There's no nothing. So like basically all I could do was watch like the LC. It wasn't even LCS back then, but watch the tournament VODs, just kind of watch them on YouTube and practice casting over them. That was sort of all you could do. And I met a Rioter once at, uh, I think it was a PAX East uh, riot after party and he recognized me from bts i had the long dreads back then and he asked me like dude i love your dota casting but like if you liked league why did you get into it man that'd be awesome i was like think if you still don't have replays dude how do i how do i do unless you like hook me up right now and give me a job i kind of can't and he kind of made that face like I guess you're right. And I was like, yeah, dude, look at Dota. It's the total opposite. It's it's all like nothing's paid wall. I can play any character, any tournament. I can just pop in Dota TV, watch it, do my own camera work. And just that's how I started uh, the Dota radio project, the accessibility through Dota TV. So as much as I like the game, it was also just the most practical decision to do any kind of entrepreneurial third-party venture where if you think of Dota as the, the foundation of this pyramid, you start building layers on top of that pyramid of third-party enterprise, third-party tournaments, third-party commentators, workshop creators that do artwork. And in the Dota universe, all those things kind of intersect, right? You have the, these workshop creators that can work together with the tournament creators. And then back in the day, tournaments could sell digital tickets that gave access to watch the game in the client. And then you would also get Dota 2 items exclusive to that tournament with the bundle. And then everybody would get a share and you could break it up however you want if different artists contributed different amounts or um, sometimes you would put money towards the prize pool. Sometimes you'd put it towards event logistics. You have all these different options. That that like sandbox, that platform, that like basis for an ecosystem is fundamentally what has enabled Dota to be a tier one esport for a pretty long time. And despite having a lot of issues and, and needing some more infrastructure around that, it's it's still a tier one esport. It's still kind of like the big three up there with League of Legends and Counter Strike and and Dota. Like those are kind that's that's like the up the S tier of esports that I always think of. Um, so anyway, that mechanism is just so cool, and I think we're we're trying to build something sort of similar, right? Like blockchain enables that kind of an ecosystem even even easier in some ways, right? Yeah. So. This it's very interesting because it actually goes back to what I was talking about today uh, with this Norwegian journalist, uh, and we were discussing esports and the, actually how the money is flowing. Like, if we take the game and put it into one box, okay, it has to be like fun. It needs to be accessible for players. These are kind of tenants that that we at least need to to build on, and then people need to care about it. Like these are at least if we have that then we maybe have the foundation of, a, of something that could potentially be an esports. And then you need to have some kind of support uh, from the from the publisher of the game uh, or that they are at least like acknowledging that this is an esports and that or that we are like at least facilitating for competition. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I'm not saying that we're there yet in active, but that's kind of where we are working towards. And I think what's interesting about when you're building something on the blockchain, especially like something like Axie, where we are opening up the business models a little bit more. Um, it basically means that players are being rewarded in a sense for adding value to the game. 
And that means that when I say the adding value, I'm saying like, if you're playing the game, you're actually adding value to, to Axie Infinity from a network perspective. Like you are telling your friends, you are maybe spending money, you are play, simply playing the game is basically making it so that other players have competitors to meet. To me, that is a value. And then you are getting something in return, uh, which is in this case is like a token, which then can be uh, used. Now that's kind of one part of it, but the really kind of interesting part of it is that some of the revenue streams that are coming in is also being shared with the players in another way. So that means that the players can decide if we want to, let's say, use money on esports rather than mm-hmm. the publisher deciding that from from the from kind of the the, the the ground up without like caring about what anyone else is saying. Because at that point, it's like only a marketing decision. Because when you are looking at it from an esport, like from a publisher perspective, you just need to. It's just a math puzzle. Okay, can I yeah. spend money here and then I get money back because more people are coming in, right? Yeah. Uh, but if if other players are like deciding that this is where a part of the revenue or profit should go, then you can like basically make an entire ecosystem of esports where not only the best players are being paid, but other players are also, you know, like maybe the the tier two, the tier three teams, like you get a lot more mm-hmm. uh, money kind of flowing into that ecosystem uh, because everyone else kind of benefits from from that happening. So you really yeah. have to look at it from a holistic perspective of what uh, what are we trying to design and create here. Well, this is not something like yeah, it's it's just a new way of, of designing a game. Totally, and, and like there's another key aspect that I think is easy to understand in layman's terms. That's in my head. I've been thinking about how do we translate like governance token isn't that loaded of a term, but to somebody that's not experienced at all with blockchain or crypto, or they're you're just a, a traditional gamer, let's call it, uh, they don't necessarily understand the full impact of what that phrase means. I think right, the governance token is just an ability uh, for people that have this reward, the AXS, uh, it's like the thing that you use in the universe. That is a voting share. So over time, as more of that gets distributed, more people playing the game will be, like you said, be able to get to vote on how funds are used, how esports stuff will uh, be uh, will evolve at least to some degree. And when you talk about mm-hmm. the ecosystem, it's important to remember that it's it's all driven by peer to peer stuff, not developer to gamer transactions. So. Um, as the whole yeah. thing grows and more axes get bred and more axes get sold and moved around, um, it's just other players that are benefiting from that by playing the game. It's a little bit like the Diablo three real money auction house. I had like a, one of my longtime subscribers and friends started playing recently, and he said he feels like he's been applying similar kind of logic um, where it's you know you're playing this game, but at any point you can just cash all of it out like one or two steps away from fiat currency. You know, you turn it into rap. ETH, turn it into regular ETH, and boom, you've got dollars, you know? Yeah, I love that. I actually love the Real Money Auction House. I, I thought it was amazing, uh, and they were ahead of their time. Unfortunately, it wasn't really sustainable because the, I don't think the economy was fully like inflationary <laughs> kind of set up so that, that things necessarily made sense. Mm-hmm. And then people started you know, losing money on the assets that they were buying uh, too expensively, and it, it was just like a, a pretty massive shit show for, uh, for them. But but I think they were really onto something. And I think we're trying to do the same thing in Axie. Just the thing with the Axies themselves and when they are being bred, like that transaction in itself requires something that only users can find, mm-hmm. that we are not selling. And I think that's really what makes it so special. So as long as there is new demand for Axies, like the, the people will need to, to play the game to find this resource. Uh, and in the end, you can say that, oh, what happens if there is like no more demand for Axies? There will be no more demand for the token. There is no more play to earn. Well, that's up to us as a game developer to actually figure out, like, how do we make it so that there is some kind of demand for the standard or random axis? Like, can maybe people can put the axes on land and, and like, kind of lock them up so that, that that basically means that we require a shitload of more axes mm-hmm. uh, because there is land gameplay or other things that you need to use your axes or even release them into the wild. Like, there is a, a design space there that there is... That's kind of vastly unexplored uh, that yeah. I think we'll be getting more into later. Definitely. Um, and, and I was like rereading some of the land gameplay stuff that's on the Axie and Infinity website. And it sounds like part of the goal is to create kind of that map editor vibe, right? Like it says that like you'll be able to create guilds and, you know, you can multiple people will be able to come together to, you know, put 
share their efforts. And not only are your axes going to be farming and collecting and doing stuff, but you could make like a, a little storefront or you could in theory make like a little mini game or something that you could charge people to access. Like there's going to be all sorts of mm-hmm. um, like this, this idea of you can build on top of our sandbox is sort of innate in the, the land gameplay. Is that correct? Yeah. So what we believe in, I mean, when we started Axie, by the way, hi, Maloney in the chat. It's been a while since I've seen her face. A lot oh, of like yeah. old school people that I, that I, uh, when I used to stream a little bit of, uh, of Dota, uh, <laughs> probably popping in here too. Yeah. But uh, kind of going back into the kind of how we see the future of Axie evolving. I mean, since Axies are NFTs, like they are permissionless and anyone in Lithuania should be able to build whatever they want using the assets. So what we started seeing, you know, in early 2018 is that certain players were making like Axie Flappy Bird. Mm-hmm. That basically means that if you have an Axie character, you could sign in using Web3 uh, on the Flappy Bird or Flappy Axie site and then kind of flap around with your Axie. <laughs> now, that was kind of a very early proof of concept, but we started seeing other kind of micro games pop up like Axie Sushi, which were created by, you know, these, uh, these engineers. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of really made us understand the potential for NFTs, right? Because they can be used across many different games. And it and it actually kind of set the stage into actually becoming a, a game universe where you have your characters that can travel across many different games that maybe not only we as a main company are creating, but then other players will be able to create too. And the first step of that is to kind of have that simple map editor, right? Where you can think of it like, as you said, the Warcraft 3 map editor is a perfect example. You just kind of plop down various resources Sources, boom, out comes a map, and then you can monetize from there. And what's cool is that since everything is is like all the revenue streams are on chain, like the money is flowing like that, it's very easy to actually monetize uh, what you are creating. So tapping into that aspect of you know human creativity is, I think, massively important for us because then you can, you know, really go down that you know Roblox route where mm. actually in in the in the end maybe can become more of a virtual world, and that's really what where we see it headed. And then Axie Esports, where you use your game characters, is, is a really important part of that. So mm-hmm. an, obviously, a, an obvious comparison would be something like Clash, the Clash of Clans universe, right? You have the Clash Royale, the battle mode there, and then you have like, you know, Clash, uh, what's it called, Clash of Clans, where people are battling inside the... Inside the uh, I think so. I, I need map, to play right? that. I've never played the original. <laughs> I've only played the, the Royale version. Yeah, so so the, the interesting thing there is that, you know, the, the characters that you have in Clash they don't traverse through the universe, right? You just have them. Everything is in a in a in one specific piece. Mm-hmm. And actually, you can same thing, except that you can use your characters across many many different games, and that's also what what gives Axie's value. Totally. No, that's super mm-hmm. exciting. And I know, like, land is one of these things that it's it's been hyped up and talked about. And when did the when was the land sale? Was it in twenty nineteen? Are we, are we yeah. a year so and a half ago? was an early, yeah, early 2019. Oh, um, two years ago. It's, it's okay. quite some, yeah, it's quite some time ago. And I, okay. I, I guess like looking back at it, I can say that we were a little bit too early uh, compared to the roadmap that we originally had. I mean, when you look at how the blockchain gaming space evolved and how the, like some of the problems that we faced along the way, it's very clear that I don't think anyone actually realized how hard it would be to, to create a successful blockchain game. Because we are not really seeing true product market fits before the infrastructure hurdles have been passed. And by that, I mean like Axie Infinity is now on Ronin, where you can actually trade for, for without paying insane gas fees, you can breed. So, so that means that we can actually see how the economy is designed to work. But that, is t- that really took a couple of years to get there. Uh, so since we had to focus on that, other things kind of uh, get pushed down the, down the down the road. But now that the kind of the infrastructure piece is done, we can really focus on what, what's what's uh, what's amazing. And of course, we have a specific team that that's working on that inside the game. It's so it's like every time I think I can visualize the onion, I understand that there's another layer, right? Like land feels like a base part of the foundation because everyone can build on top of it. But you're talking about Ronin as like the structure that goes below the foundation. That's like the pilings that are keeping the shit afloat for when uh, when the flood comes. Yeah, I mean, if we didn't have that, it's like when you are. I keep saying this to, I mean, I'm the one who's handling investors and I'm and, and pitching people who have no idea about blockchain. So I keep saying this, like when you are building something, imagine uh, like you're building on um, uh, a layer of technology that, that 
that nobody really knows exactly how it works, right? Let's be completely honest here. It's so fresh, nobody knows exactly how blockchain will, 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 will evolve over time. Mm -hmm. And if you're then building on top of another startup, that's again building on the same technology, like the, the, the odds for failure is exponentially increased. And that's yeah. basically what happened uh, with us in the middle of 2019, where one of the infrastructure partners that we were using, uh, they decided to pivot into another direction, which kind of left us uh, doing some, like we needed to really reevaluate where we were headed to. Uh, so, so that means that you sometimes just may have to make the hard decision and kind of go down the stack yourselves. And, and the great thing about us in Sky Mavis and Axi is that we have really talented engineers, so we can do that. Uh, and that means that we can make a tech company that, that that kind of fulfills all the needs that we need to 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 have to make a successful game. And when you think about that, that's basically the same thing that that Valve did, right? They set the stage. I mean, they they created the the, the Steam platform to distribute Half-Life and Counter Strike and these type of games. That's also why we're making the Navy Sub, mm -hmm. because we can't distribute Axie in its current state using these traditional platforms because there is no one who is supporting the kind of the open financial infrastructure that, that we need. And there's no one who's scaling right. the way we need. So we really need to, need to make everything ourselves. And then you have the game and the IP as well. So you really have to take a step down and it takes several years to do that. But now, yeah, we're coming to a point where, where things are quite exciting okay. and things are moving forward. Well, cool, man. Thanks for doing all that really boring hard work and then uh, letting me come <laughs> in now that uh, we get to do all the fun stuff. I, I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, it's great to, to, to have you with us. Obviously, things are now that now that we are in the state where we can maybe pursue esports a little bit more. For me, as I mentioned the other day, it's like I'm always passionate about esports. I love tournaments. I love to see that. But, you know, from a business perspective, we really need to make sure that the game and everything that we're putting out is kind of at a certain level before we can justify spending a lot of money on esports. Yeah. Uh, so I got to put my business hat on there and say that maybe maybe I am a little bit too jaded right now after doing that for several years. So it's good to have someone else who can pursue that kind of esports uh, thing without the same uh, kind of baggage that I do coming in and, and then saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we should be doing this. You got, you got a little scar tissue. I, I don't think you could come out. I mean, you know, I, I talked about it in my, my little article at the beginning in 2018. I, I tried to make a, a game and. You know, it's funny because we had that prisoner's dilemma thing. And after we did that beta test, we didn't give up right away. We had like, I didn't put this in the article, but there was like another little stretch there. We had this idea. I'm embarrassed to say this. Are you ready? It was actually a little Axie-esque. It was a Pokemon-inspired battler, but instead of it being creatures, it was rocks. It was crypto geodes. And it was the same thing where we, like, because we thought mining would be like a funny one-to-one -one with like crypto mining. So, and it was the same, we... We we thought it was stupid because we didn't understand the the tokenomics of it, but we were sort of at the tip of the iceberg of some of this stuff where you have these geodes and you use those to like, you know, the, the diamonds are like a drill bit and there's coal that like you put in the miner. So everything can be used in the game to make it deflationary. And then as you use your miner, it digs up more stuff and everything you dig up is like a dice roll and there's rare ones and gold ones and like platinum infused diamonds and shit. It got real deep. We got a little bit of the artwork made. Actually, fun fact, the subscribers in my channel, like if I say something, that big green blob, that's uh, one that that was like a level 10 diamond rock. I, I reused the art from our, our crypto geodes game for my uh, Twitch badges. But uh, yeah, we had them. They were going to battle and stuff. So like we had some of this stuff mapped out and no lie. Like I think we had two smart contracts and Jenkins was like, you know, to do this, I think I'm going to need to deploy like two or three more smart contracts. And then like I, I we got we got a lot going on. We got too many. Con and then we looked at Axie Infinity and you guys had like 20 or 30 or like some huge <laughs> amount. And we were like, yeah, we creeped on some of your code and it clicked in our heads how like fucking over our heads we were and it was just like all right we can't i i don't know how to make this we sort of have a cool idea here and we're on to something with these like deflationary mechanics that also create more stuff and everybody like the more you play you're more just dice rolling for rares um but yeah it, it, it <laughs> sort of felt like oh damn all right they're already doing it well cool man that, that, yeah. <laughs> what you're describing there is the classical feeling of you know the dreamer thing you get so excited about something and you you feel like you're going to do it uh, and you're just like, oh, so there's so many great ideas, the same space, everything is amazing. And then you come to the point of execution, right? So really that's what separates the kind of the, the, the chaff 
from the real guys who know what they're doing, right? Not yeah. saying that, but I mean, in reality, it's so hard to execute on something. Everyone yeah. can sit on the sidelines and say that, oh, it's so easy. Uh, you guys just need to do X, Y, Z. You guys need to, why aren't you guys doing that? Why aren't you guys doing that? Well, I mean, everything that you're saying has an am- like an amazingly l- large list of complications uh, that needs to be considered from uh, from a smart contract perspective. Just like, that's just one of it. Yeah. And then you would have how it impacts the other players. And I can see that there is actually this, this one dude, um, this is an interesting topic that, that I would like to discuss. It's actually about banning players in Axie. Sure. Uh, and... Uh, and like the the implications of, of doing that and, and what that means and, and why we're banning people and that kind of stuff. And and the reason why I'm saying that in terms of like game design is because it's actually a pretty important piece of it. Because if you are allowing people to harvest assets inside your game, the reason why they're doing that, uh, at least if they have uh, mo- like monetary value, is because they're adding value to the network. Now, for every non-human being who is cheating or uh, like taking more value out rather than they're adding in, that is a problem for the game's network effects. So we can't reach the, 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 the maximum amount of users because some other guys or girls are trying to abuse the network or the game by taking too many rewards. Yeah. That's basically why we are banning players. One human being should be able to extract a certain amount of tokens from Axie Infinity. If you're doing more than that, you're breaking the rules within a 24-hour uh, like, uh, range. And the very easy way to do that is like we have quest systems, we have energy systems, and if you are earning more than the energy system tells you, you are breaking the rules, and then you will be banned. Yeah. And when you're saying that we didn't review the appeals, we reviewed all the appeals. We looked at all the data, and then we decided to ban everyone because none of it, none of the appeals were good enough. Like yeah. that's just the way it is. So if you're telling us that we didn't review it, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what's a little bit frustrating, right? And we, we, no matter what, how many times we say it. People are still going to say, oh, you don't care. That's not true. We care more than anyone about the network that we spent three years trying to create. Yeah. And that's why we're banning people. It, it, it's not like I want to ban you, but it's like sometimes we just have to deal with that. I like think, our actions have consequences. I think you got to remember from the developer's side, banning someone that genuinely didn't deserve it is pretty close to like a worst case scenario from a developer perspective, right? You have somebody who's like a loyal customer that likes your product and somehow something got messed up and they were accidentally tripped and were banned. Nobody wants that to happen. So like there's definitely a a huge, uh, huge incentive on the developer side to make sure that's not the case. But it is it always is a a tricky subject. I saw just there was a World of Warcraft uh, TVC classic launch just yesterday. And I saw somebody on Twitter say that uh, one of their friends got banned because they grinded so hard. And he said, as they put it, such a sweaty nerd that uh, they were tripped for being a bot. And Maybe they were accidentally tripped, but at the same time, I've heard a lot of those. And then when you actually like go a level deeper and see the review, it's like, no, they did play a lot, but they were also botting. And then they lied about it because they thought they'd get away with it. We had a guild like I used to raid with uh, the MLG guys, you know, Major League Gaming. It's the, the company doesn't really exist anymore. Now it's esports engine, but like the App Adam Apicella crew. Um, so like he has some industry connections right he knows a lot of people at blizzard and there was somebody in our guild that got banned and he said i didn't do anything i don't understand what happened and i remember our like our officers or the gm saying all right you need to like look me in the digital eye and pro- like are you sure you didn't do anything because i'm about to put my reputation on the line for you here and if you did do something i'm gonna look really dumb so did you the final answer it's like no i didn't and of course i take it up and person at blizzard pulls up his account and they're like oh dude we've got multiple this guy's buying gold he's doing this he was scripting fishing like it was a list of like this macro here he's still using this macro he was warned for and after like we brought it back to him he was just kind of silent just like yeah (laughs) so like i'm so jaded on that stuff of like even like people just fucking lie when so a lot of people will double down in a situation like that when they get caught doing something they're not supposed to do. Um, I, I don't know. It's tricky. It, it's just really tricky. But like you said, the, uh, appeals get listened to. No, nobody wants to get uh, put put out bans un, unjustifiably. That's just not good. Yeah, I can see also some some dude is complaining like about a random dude who's who's taking screenshots from our Discord about moderators and all that stuff. And I think 
yeah, I mean, we trust our moderators. We trust the angels. We trust the, we trust our community. And uh, I think we just have to do that. So if if, the, if if that's a problem, then it's okay. That, that If you don't accept it, then maybe this is not the community for you. I think that's okay. We, we can say that. It's oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Like, if you don't like it, maybe <laughs> this is not for you. I think that's acceptable at this point. I mean, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have as many players as I can. But, but if you guys kind of follow the rules and, and kind of be nice to each other, then maybe it's not the place for you. Yeah, there, there's got to so, be a, a level playing field in the sandbox or it ruins it for all the people that are playing by the rules. I think that's the, the fundamental aspect that it comes back to. It's just like any other game. If there's people out there climbing the ladder and they're using map hack or auto aims or whatever, fucking ruins it for everybody else. It makes the ladder meaningless because there's people on there that genuinely don't deserve it. So this is this is really no different. It's a similar kind of mechanism. Yeah, and I think the, the the scary the well as a player when you're like on the on the player side, right? You only see uh, that that like other players are complaining. Oh my God, we got falsely accused or falsely banned. But we we as developers we can't release all the information that we have either, because yeah. if we do, it's easy more easy to reverse engineer everything. That's that's one part of it, and there's also some kind of privacy part. Like we don't want to necessarily. Uh, maybe some did more abuse than others, for example. Like this is this; these are things that we are looking at. So I mean, yeah, there was, we're, we're okay with this. For now. Yeah, there was a, a taste of that. Uh, well, just just wait until our esports scene blows up and we have to do investigations for match fixing. But that's the that's when the real fun kicks in. That's how you know <laughs> we've really made it um, because that's yeah. the big issue in Dota two right now. Big big issue. Yeah, that's a, like an incentive um, concern, right? Because uh, it becomes more popular to bet on it, and the and the, I guess for the tier two matches that are kind of meaningless, people are betting it on losing or something. It's kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and it happens in like group formats. Um, it's it's a little bit better now that there's more money in Dota into like the 16th place in each region in the the league format. Um, but before it, I mean, I think it was really rampant in these like tier two, tier three, really small third party events where nobody's really watching and like there, there aren't that many betting lines. And a lot of times it's crafty stuff where, um, you'll bet on your team or the other team to take a game off you. So you stomp game one, if you're the favorite game two, you do some really weird heroes and lose, and then you stomp game three again and you bet on like them to get first blood in game two, basically game two is like your sack game that you bet on but you still win the series so when people go back and look you can always say like look we tried to win we wanted to win we won the tournament we we won we won oh yeah oh we we picked pudge you know like how do you delineate yeah we wanted to try pudge turns out pudge sucks failed experiment when we were up one game against a shitty team versus yeah we were thrown intentionally we picked pudge (laughs) and like we do you know about arkosh gaming at all in in north american dota i might have heard like I don't follow the Dota scene that like much. Is that oh, new or but, so? Yeah. Oh, all right. Let me hit you with the TLDR of Arkosh. Okay, this is the latest brainchild of one Sir Action Slacks. It's like professional wrestling meets Dota Two team. So in North America, it's like not a very competitive region. So the eighth to sixteenth, like Division Two uh, for the DPC, is it any like top ladder player teams could kind of participate. So Slacks came up with these characters for, it's like a demonic team called Arkosh. And it's like, they're, it's like the gremlin pale horse, uh, the goat. It's like a big demonic goat head. And they have like characters and costumes and shit. And all their identities are secret sort of. Some of them have been like revealed now, but, um, and they play and they do like weird troll stuff and like Slacks role plays as their manager and like taunts people and talk shit. And they like, do rituals where they'll like pause the game and post like old Wiccan spells and all chat and stuff. It's like professional wrestling showmanship in actual competitive Dota. And they're like decent enough that I think they qualified for upper division for next season. It's like, it, it, it's sort of working. They get way more viewership than the other teams. And it, it is a little bit weird for this, like the ethics of match fixing and the players being anonymous. They're not anonymous on the back end. The tournament org knows who they are, but publicly they are still officially anonymous on Wikipedia and stuff. They're listed as their stupid wrestling names and stuff. And there was a draft where they picked like Pudge Techie or not Techie Pudge Sniper, like some really crazy random shit that nobody plays. And one of them went to lane without items. And it turned out 
in one of their series, they got matched against a team that got caught match fixing. They got banned, like lifetime banned. They just lifetime banned two full teams in, in the NA stuff. And uh, they actually fucked over the team where they were trying to throw and archive. And they're like, I'm trying to throw, but there's a punch in my lane with no items. I think he's out throwing me. And like Arkosh almost like sort of helped accidentally reveal some of these match fixers by being such ridiculous clowns that it threw the match fixers off so much. It's such a weird, like I I can't digest all the ethics yeah, of this, you know. <laughs> are they so uh, so, so that I'm just gonna call it the slacks team? Uh, yeah, because uh, I think as as uh, one uh, guy Valentino says in your chat, I mean it takes the slacks to do that kind of stuff. And I mean to be fair, I was never the person who loved all those shenanigans that that Axe was doing, which is kind of weird for you joining us. But I can respect the creativity. But for me, like I, I wanted to watch like the pinnacle level of Dota when I was watching a match. Yeah. But what I do think is pretty, pretty hilarious is like the the team I guess that he's gathered. They have to be pretty good, right? So they're like top like one hundred kind of, players. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're so, decent. So, and and are did you say that they were anonymous on these accounts or yeah they play on anonymous yeah. accounts but again the tournament mm -hmm. or valve knows who they are so like officially in the yeah, back end of the they're... dpc their identities are confirmed but it is yeah, that is that yeah i mean i mean it is funny it is trolling a little bit i think it, it's uh it takes a certain like person to do that just like maybe washed up or up and coming and then looking for some kind of attention but i mean yeah i i, I what i do love about the dota scene i always liked is that the that it's so broad actually mm -hmm. there are a lot of a lot of interesting people uh in there uh some of the pro gamers are 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 nice of course some of them aren't nice i met met a couple of them i guess we didn't even start with an introduction but yeah my 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 background for those of you guys who don't know that i was um at one point in one when, when, when was that when terrorblade was released Oh God! Um, All right, like 2018 or something, 2019. Oh, I think way early. I was gonna guess like 2016 or something. When Terrorblade was released, uh, released Dota 2. I'm gonna Google that. Um, uh, so he was released in what? I can see. So way back, it looks like patch four something. Can see. Oh, that's wow. They've updated this wiki. That goes all the way back. I'm so in bad any case, at this yeah. kind of trivia. When Terrorblade got released in Dota 2, that was my the pinnacle of my Dota 2 career. I somehow managed to grind myself <laughs> into the top 200 uh, players of Europe, uh, which was amazing. I was, I was so happy about that I, because he was OP when he was released. So yeah, I basically spammed him like 150 games or something like that. And I thought that was, uh, that was pretty fun. So 2014, um, I think. I see an old IGN article that says Dota 2 gets new mode and Terrorblade Hero of January 2014. So that was pretty long time, yeah, seven so years was, ago. Yeah. Yeah. That was with the pinnacle of my Dota 2 career. Okay. Um, other than that, I was always kind of grinding in, 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 the, in the 5, 6K uh, MMR range. So I'm not I'm not like a bad player. I was I'm just not the, the best, I would say. I love it, though. I love it. My my greatest Dota moment is spamming this broken hero to climb the ladder. Oh, it was great. That, um, I do, yeah, I do have like 10K hours or something in Dota. I think 9,900. I'm going to check my Steam. I'm, uh, I'm at 11K now, but a lot of it is casting and watching. It's probably more than half, I would say. And some of it's idling as well. Oh, eight eight thousand two hundred and ninety-three. That's pretty yeah, good. So, but that's, the last, yeah, the last couple of I think the last three hours. years I haven't I haven't played any anything almost. Of course, like only building this company. I think my most proud moment of actually playing Dota was when we did the Captain's Draft Four Minor, the official like minor on the circuit for DPC points that Moonduck hosted in twenty eighteen. We did a talent show match that was ability draft and. We made a really dumb decision where instead of doing the after party on Sunday after the event, we did a bar crawl in combination with Reddit on the Saturday before the finals. And it was really fun, but everyone got super blasted. And most people didn't show up to the show match. So we had like producers and staff playing. I kicked ass. I played Dazzle and I got Dazzle in ability draft. And Dazzle's my favorite character. So it just felt like. I don't know, the stars aligned and it's like totally random which base you get. And then I got really good spells and played position one. I got uh, the Bloodseeker Thirst so and I had the Dazzle Poison. So I was just running around the map, super speed. 
it was so much fun playing on the stage in front of a live audience. I felt like I got to role play as a pro pro player for the first time. It like you know, hundreds of people in the audience and everybody cheered. Sayori with the triple kill and everyone's cheering for me. Dude, I got a little tiny taste of that like adrenaline hit that the pros get when you make a big play on the stage and the audience goes crazy. It was awesome. Ah, I'm I'm glowing just thinking about it, man. That uh that was my moment, right? That was my peak. I peaked in 2018. It's all downhill now. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we can make something better with Axie. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, wait, let me see my different in the back here. Uh, two seconds. Maria, on the way out for a stream. My dog is here. Hey, see. You've got quite the dog collection. It's, uh, what do you got, three? Three or four? Yeah. Oh, they are busy right now. Yeah, so yeah Dalmatian. Uh, three, three, three dogs. My my girlfriend has. Uh, well, we have it, but yeah, one Dalmatian, one uh, one uh, Australian Kelpie, and, and uh, one uh, Border Collie. Wow, wow, you guys are that's serious. Border Collie, they're they're pretty smart. They need some attention. You are you guys like real dog people? Is that like a daily dog park kind of activity? You go go throw the disc around mm -hmm. a little bit, get some exercise. Yeah, I guess uh, mostly my girlfriend, not me. I'm just working, but I try to try to try to join outside. I'm my my role in the household is like a, uh, I'm I'm responsible for cuddles. That's, ah, that's what I do here. I see. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. That and NFTs. There you go. Yeah, um, I actually just bought some new NFTs over uh, yesterday before I went to bed. Some bonsai trees. Oh, well, you know, I um outside of axes, I actually don't have I only have one NFT and it was something that got airdropped on like QuickSwap or something. It's like some stupid doge dancing doge thing. I don't know. Um I I need to really I it's such a weird coming from the Dota space. It seemed like so that the title of the article I wrote, it said my future with blockchain gaming. And I don't think a lot of people connected the dots of blockchain kind of equals NFT to some degree. And it seemed like there were several people that were congratulatory until I tweeted at someone who was asking about axes. And I said, yeah, it costs this much. Remember, they're NFTs. They're kind of like assets. They're, they're not just something that you're, you're putting money in and kind of getting nothing out. It's not like uh, Magic the Gathering season where you're buying this season of cards and then they're not going to be useful next season or something. It's, you know, it, it's there. It's your axie. You own it. And then a bunch of people took that tweet and went, NFT? Stranger danger, and they all started freaking out. Like, I mean, I hope you succeed, but NFTs, how could you? And I just, I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, it's interesting how people are so polarized to like that word specifically is almost, it almost seems like a trigger word to some people. Like they see NFT and the, the sirens go off, you know, the alarm bells start ringing. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's actually absurd. NFTs are, are just, <laughs> Uh, a new way to store digital medium, like a new digital medium, I would say, like can be used for many different things. I think, you know, game assets, just one of them. You can store uh, proof of uh, like ownership of your house in an NFT if you want to. Right? I mean, I think only the, the, it's hard to really imagine how NFTs will change and shape the future of, uh, of the internet. But I guess to truly understand that, you really need to kind of Take a deeper, um, take a deeper look into what what Ethereum and the, yeah and the blockchain enables. What kind of benefits does it give us? The fact that we have things on a decentralized computer, basically, which it, which is what it is, and then you would have like a, a world computer like Ethereum or the Ethereum virtual machine, which is then kind of working as JavaScript uh, to an extent, like for those who are coders, where you just kind of put one thing in, and then you have some kind of gas which triggers the computation. And then you get a you get a set result out like that. That's it. And and then if you can understand that, then you can kind of look at the other kind of applications and everything else that can be built on top yeah. of it. And I think for for NFTs, it's just another way to to store as to to store something. I, so the fact that people kind of take off and, and start flaming it, they they like I thought some guy said like it was a it was rent seeking. I think the complete opposite thing of rent seeking. <laughs> when people are when people are minting an NFT, like if you are a creator and you are minting an NFT or an art piece, so then you are actually minting a part of your soul on the blockchain. In my like on, on the blockchain, in my opinion, because there is no way to take that back. 
that's always going to be there and tied to your wallet as the first thing that you did. So you're actually kind of putting a part of your identity on the chain and then anyone can buy that or speculate on that or mm. you don't even have to sell it. You can share it with anyone else and then they are a part of your, a part of your crew. Like it's a part of building loyalty. Yeah. And I, that can never disappear if, even if the platforms disappear. So that, that is I think interesting it's just a lack of understanding. It. Yeah. I think there's, there's a couple of pieces there. Um, one of them that I, I think wins people over a lot is um, I've seen folks look at like, like an 8-bit NFT or a really like you got it's just like Amazon KDP where I published my book. It's a really cool platform because now anybody can get the word out there. But what does open platform mean? It means that a shitload of garbage is going to get uploaded also, right? Amazon doesn't provide you with an editor. You can write any garbage manifesto and just upload it and try to sell it to people. Um, is that good mm -hmm. or bad? I don't, it just kind of is. It's, it's YouTube is the same way, right? There's a lot of really good YouTube channels that make really good content. There's a lot of garbage on YouTube as well. What percentage of all the YouTube videos getting uploaded today will be garbage? A staggering amount that nobody will ever watch. I don't know what the, it's like Twitch is like that as well. The overwhelming percentage of Twitch streams are people with like three or less viewers. Most of them have zero yeah. viewers. That's, that's the reality of it. It's like I think even this stream with 30 viewers right now, we're we're like a standard deviation or two to the right of the bell curve in terms of average viewership on Twitch. If you look at everybody who's live on Twitch right now, you just don't see the zero viewer streams because they're hard to discover, right? Um, I don't know why I went down this rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> lost yeah. my train of thought. But um, I, I often get caught up on people of like it, NFTs that do stuff are really cool, right? Like they look at these collectible kind of lowbrow, like uh, really garbage NFTs. I would say and go, look, NFTs are just a scam. And it's like, yeah, but what if there, there's cool NFTs too? It's a spectrum just like everything else. Don't judge the whole system by like the shittiest one that you saw. It would be like looking at the shittiest tattoo you could find on the internet than saying, ah, tattoos are a scam. Look how shitty this one is. It's like, well, there's also really amazing tattoos that are real pieces of artwork also. It's almost everything in life exists on a spectrum. I love that word. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a, that's a good way of, of positioning it. But even for you know, for gamers, they should be the people who understand NFTs first. I think mm. uh, the reason a lot of gamers are struggling with it is because we've always kind of had NFTs inside games. Actually, it's just that they've been centrally issued and it's been controlled purely by the by the game studios, right? They haven't had an incentive to actually share the revenue streams that are being issued by these NFTs, but that are being created by the NFTs, right? Um, so so. Once you kind of realize that, yes, we had NFTs or we had game items, now we're just kind of taking it a step further and we're allowing you to use them and to carry them outside of the kind of closed ecosystems that you're in for the foreseeable future. And you can build your digital identity with these with these items. And it's a part of kind of a meta universe that's going to be uh, arriving in the internet over the next couple of decades, I would say, mm -hmm. where you can kind of combine everything that you have. So. That, that, that's one way of looking at it. But for other assets, like let's say art pieces, it doesn't make as much sense. Like why is this valuable as an NFT? Because it doesn't have a use case. I mean, you can look at it, you mm -hmm. can sell it, like that's the only thing you do. But when you consider the implications of proving ownership of something, that's when it becomes cool. But that Because that means that, let's say if you are issuing Zayori NFTs to 100 people, um, then you can always add more utility to those NFTs in the future. You'll say that, Okay, I'm having Zyoricon in, in two years. The only one get, the only people who will come there uh, or will be allowed into the inner sanctum are the people who hold the Zyori NFTs that you issued mm -hmm. two years ago. Like that means that the players who have been holding onto those for or the people who have been holding onto those for several years, they now suddenly have something that has utility. They can trade it, they can prove that they own it to even get into it. So it's a different way of looking at, you know, how do you connect to your community uh, with NFTs? So to me, it's yeah. like a very clear thing, but I don't. I think a lot of people are struggling, uh, struggling with that. Yeah. No. That that is that's an interesting angle when you think about if you're building an ecosystem, you, anything that like events or even like a, a Discord. Like I saw like the Bankless podcast. Like they just did their DAO, and I joined their Discord, and they have a bot that you connect your wallet to, and there's like different tiers of how many tokens you have, and that is kind of based on uh, there was some. 
thing, like how many episodes you've listened to. I, I don't know how they did it, but like I bought some tokens, but um, they have different tiers of like voting shares and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. And that's like laying the foundation for them to be able to build stuff on top of that. And, you know, like every other DAO, they'll be able to vote on projects and be able to build stuff. And um, it's pretty cool. And you see like community things like that and um, like rooted in content actually become a little bit of an ecosystem and saying that has just triggered me back to something we talked about like 40 minutes ago and you're talking about esports and putting on your business hat and making it work financially i think a big key of that is thinking about esports not just as an isolated thing that exists in a vacuum but this web that gets tied into fan interaction engagement um not only just servicing the competitive players but also a marketing vehicle for content, right? If you have a tournament that's really hype and exciting and it has a big prize pool, it can it can be exciting for the players that are participating, but you can also weave in interviews, behind the scenes content, um, new releases, item drops. You can reward viewers for participating. Like with some of the stuff we did at Moonduck, we tied in like Twitch chat voting into different interactions uh, with the stream or with the tournament. Like, hey, every day a different hero gets banned by default. You guys get to vote on it and decide which hero it is. All that kind of stuff is a key part of what makes the esports vehicle worth it. Anybody can just run a fucking tournament. It's tying all those knots together and finding the, the like, there's already all this great content in the Axie space, right? These are awesome opportunities to highlight it. Like, sure, maybe we can monetize some of that advertising space for sponsors and various other ways to support the ecosystem, but we can also use some of that prime real estate to highlight and build up the people that we already have as part of our ecosystem. And I think that's that's the key to unlocking the esports value. Yeah. I don't really have anything else to say <laughs> other than that. I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it's, it's all about, like, how do you add value uh, to the, the game and to the ecosystem in, in various ways. And if you want to call that esports, that's cool. That, 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 <laughs> that can be a part of it. But it's that cohesive thing that we're looking for. Actually, it's community building. Yeah. So that's more of it. And esports is, is an important piece of that because yeah. people are passionate about, they want to compete in something. They want to, like, it's always that, you know, like geek culture where you want to show people that, like, maybe you are not the coolest person in real life, but at least you spend your life online you want to show other people that you're better than, than they are at the specific game that you're playing right yeah. uh, so, so uh, i mean I'm, I'm very excited to see how how far we can take it with axie and 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 how um, yeah just how passionate people will be especially as we add more features and uh, maybe like larger price pools more professional casters are going to maybe come in like i always believe that you can Try to design for esports, but saying something is an esports, defining it as an esports, that's a harder thing to do because, like, even Blizzard or all of these other games, larger game studios, they try to do that all the time and they still fail. Mm -hmm. So then we have to say, well, why do they still fail when they're so big? They have all these marketing like daughters. It, maybe it's something else like they're lacking, like that community feeling. Yeah, well, there's something to be said for letting things unfold organically. So you have this foundation that you know isn't forced and was based on kind of the love of the game. Like that's what we saw with Dota. Dota was hard to play for a really long time of its history. That transition before Dota 2, when Heroes of New Earth was sort of a thing, League of Legends wasn't really off the ground yet. Dota 1 was still possible to play, but it was locked on the game client. You needed like Warcraft 3 CD keys or some like hacked up client to play on Garena private servers or something. Like it wasn't that easy to play Dota, yet there were still like thousands hundreds of thousands of people around the world finding a way to play this game with each other that's something you can't buy you can't force you can't design for like out of the box it, it's like a, it's like a buzz that that starts to reinforce itself and take hold and spread and I, again I, I see that same kind of parallel in axie and like that foundation can be amplified and built into something great but that foundation has to kind of start itself a little bit. It's like almost like a singularity. It's like a little nexus point. And I, I think you guys found it somewhere along the way. Yeah, but I mean, in, in startup uh, terms, it's called like going from zero to one. Basically, you're making something out of nothing. Um, and there are many, there are ways to do it. Uh, I mean, the Blizzard guys, obviously, the, the large uh, the corporations the, in their ivory towers, they are concocting going from zero to one all the time. In, the, in their new IPs, 
but buying a community is not the same thing as watching it spawn out of nowhere. Like, I truly believe that the more effort and passion you put into something, you will get that in return, uh, like dividends in return mm -hmm. sometime in the future. But if it, everything is so calculated, everything is like designed by someone who truly only cares about the bottom line, it's going to be a vastly different kind of community, right? Yeah, and I don't think yeah. that's really, that's not really what, what we've been trying to do uh, from the start. And let's not forget that the only way that we would have gotten so far in Axie is if we actually decided to share some kind of the, the money that, that we're earning. Uh, that's actually our, our advantage. And I think that's why people care about it so much because they can, for the, one of the first times, actually participate in the value that's being created in, in a game that they truly care about. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. And I, I think the whole vision will really, I know we keep talking about land and, and all this other stuff, but when there's more to do with axes, I really think that will tie so much of this together, especially for outsiders, the people looking in that go, I don't really understand the price point for the gameplay right now. And it's like, I, and I understand why, but the ecosystem is changing, it's developing, and that value proposition is going to grow greatly over time. So I, I hear you. Keep your eye on the on the prize because uh, we're getting there. I'm I'm really excited, man. Yeah, um, things take time. But yeah. I think that's it. Like the, those who <laughs> that's those the who want to wait, if you, that's a, that, yeah, that's if you it, guys really. want to wait, then you can wait. Like maybe you can join us a little bit later. If you guys want to join now, start to breed axes that players will need in the future. That's cool too. And then you can play at the same time. Like that, that's fine. And then yeah. maybe add content or spread the word to your friends. That's fine. But I, I totally respect that a lot of people want to wait as well. But yeah. it turns out that a lot of people want to get started and um, play with us. Yeah. Can. I mean, that's great, too. It's actually happening faster than I thought. <laughs> so great to see that all the growth that's happening lately. I mean, it's it's fine for people that want to come in now and aren't like an ETH whale that got in early. But I definitely have a few friends and a few like long-term subscribers as well that are kind of like, you know, I've been looking for something to do with my ETH. I'm really happy with how much I have. I did really well speculating the market, but like, I don't really care about collectible NFTs. And this is finally something where I feel like I can, I can play a game and use my ETH and I'm not just wasting it on something. I'm like actually, you know, participating in an ecosystem. And that's, that's like really cool feedback to hear. You know, that's the kind of stuff that's like, yes, okay. We, we, we have a, we're filling a gap. We're actually like uh, filling something like you're solving a problem people didn't quite know that they had. Just like, wow, it is really nice to be able to to spend my money on something that's genuinely fun. Huh. There's not enough of that mm -hmm. in the crypto space, right? There's a lot of speculation, not enough utility. It's part of the empire we're building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, all right, last thing. I wanted to ask you, what is this Count Olek meme? I saw your, uh, is it Constitution Day, your picture you sent out? I saw a lot of, a lot of replies oh. on Twitter of people calling you Count Olek. What's what's the history on that one? Get me up to I speed. I didn't see that. We're, I didn't see there were so many. Uh, I mean, no, that uh, it, it's uh, it's actually a meme that comes from uh, one dude who was DMing everyone in the team whose name was Olek, and he was asking if we were investors or if he could invest. And it was just like a. In the end, I, my name in the team sometimes is Olek. Uh, for no other reason than it's like a dumb meme. So, yeah, and then and then now there's going to be a character in the game that's called Olek too. So, yeah, sometimes things just happen out of nowhere. Uh, you got to embrace it, buddy. I like it. Yeah, I don't get like I mean uh, Olek Alex. It's it's <laughs> yeah. I mean I'm an older to have a to have a game character inside the game that's named after me, I suppose. Uh, and he also looks a little bit angry. So that's, that's I guess that's good too. You are very good at the serious face. Like your, your pose for pictures is the like, I'm coming for you. You've got that like, sometimes I feel like you're looking into my soul when you're posing for pictures. It's, uh, it's intense. I do the cheesy smile. Know. And sometimes I look back and go, man, I'm so not intimidating. I'm, I'm like the, you can't, you know, I look like a cartoon character when I smile sometimes. Yeah, I, uh, if I smile, I look very young. So prefer to just kind of. Oh, you're going for the old vibe. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I have to look a little bit older, I guess. If gotcha. I, I mean, that's it, at least for me. Very good. All right. Well, I think this is probably a good place to wrap it up. Alex, uh, always a pleasure, my friend. I know you and I are going to be talking a lot over the weeks, months, years to come. But uh, I'm glad we we're able to make a little time to do this podcast. Uh, it's always fun to dig a little deeper. And, you know, I recognize a, a couple of Dota names in chat that uh, I think were curious and might have learned a little bit. So uh, well done, buddy. I, I think mission accomplished here. I appreciate your time on this. Yeah, no, happy to be here. Glad to to 
hopefully be able to, if some, someone is watching this, uh, I guess on YouTube or in the future, I mean, if you're excited about Axie, Sky Mavis, hopefully this podcast cleared up some of your potential concerns about blockchain, about NFTs. Um, and if it didn't, well, I mean, you have to, I guess, uh, seeing is believing. So give us a couple of years and, and after <laughs> we're going to be uh, changing things for, for you. Sir. Just wait for that five-year anniversary. Yeah, I think good advice I always, now that gas fees are so low, like if you're curious at all, take a hundred bucks, put it into like a MetaMask wallet and just start playing around with DeFi. Just start connecting into stuff. You don't have to put a lot of money in now to start seeing some of the value of the tools that exist. You know, you can put 20 bucks into a vault just to see how the vault works and get a taste of like, is this is, is this liquidity mining real? Is this yield farming real? You can do a live experiment. You can do it with micro amounts of money just to get your feet wet and start to understand the technology. And I highly recommend that because that was what pushed me over from understanding that, okay, this Ethereum isn't a stock. Yeah, you can speculate it on like that way if you want to, but what's really cool is all the shit that we're building on top of Ethereum. And Axie is just one piece of this giant universe that now exists there. And basically every day now before bed, I spend like an hour just playing around on these different networks and just trying to learn how some of this technology works. And that's the stuff that's gotten me really excited. So I would encourage all of you to do the same if uh, if you have any doubts still that uh, this this is the future, man. Yeah, no, that's couldn't say it, but say it said, have said it better myself. It's a little bit of a, well, it's not a little rabbit hole. It's a very big rabbit hole that you yeah. just have to kind of dive down into and then think about uh, ownership in a new way. Put on that's your learning hat. It's the only way to do it. There, there, there's no hack for that part. You just got to read and absorb and take it take it one step at a time. Alex, you got any plugs for us? You want to plug uh, Axie Socials, oh, your right. own socials? Uh, hit, yeah. us, hit us with the closer. Uh, yeah, they can follow. Uh, just check out the axieinfinity.com, Twitter, also Axie Infinity. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter too, at psychout86. Uh, so yeah, that, that's it. Ah, the year you were born. Very creative. I love it. Yeah, it was actually Psychout Dota uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, And no then way. I figured out. I, was, I wasn't really doing Dota uh, anymore. So it's time. Dude, you pulled 86. the LD. You went from LD Dota to L Deep. The like, you know what? I'm not just a Dota guy anymore. That was a big day. That was a big loss for Dota. See, I was always agnostic. Sayori TV. Back in 2010, I thought ahead, dude. There you go. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, I know I love Dota. So Dota was my passion. I mean, I, I, I actually, I remember when LD changed his, his tag to LD. So yeah. and that was, that was, uh, yeah, it was a, a sad day. I always, I always did like LD. I think he was one of my favorite casters ever, actually. So hopefully I get to meet him one day. Agreed. I'll, uh, if we're ever in the same place, I'd be happy to do the introduction. But I uh, appreciate you listening, folks. This was uh, Zayori Plus One. I do these every so often, a little more regular now, like once a month, every three weeks or so. Uh, just uh, me and one other body talking about uh, whatever the topic of the day is. And uh, this one was Axie Infinity. Appreciate all y'all listening. You can find it on my YouTube and uh, my website, Zayori.tv, youtube.com slash TV. There will be an audio-only podcast version in case you joined us late. And uh, we'll get that out on social later today. But until next time, we'll see you.